All right, our two readings are printed for you there. The sermon will primarily be from Colossians there, but I will reference uh, the Matthew 9 text at the beginning of the sermon. But as I told you last week, we're going to be taking the month of November to consider basically the topic of joy as it relates to different aspects of the Christian life. Uh, Last week, we did joy and worship. Uh, Today, we're going to look at joy and prayer. Joy and prayer. So here's Colossians 1, verses 3 to 12. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it, also, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ <coughs> on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Amen. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all of that land. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. I do not believe that it would be hard to prove that one of the most difficult things to do as a Christian is to pray. One of the most difficult things to do as a Christian is to pray. And you might say, Pastor, that's not true. Well, I would ask you, why don't you pray more if it's not so difficult? You aren't really persuaded that it does anything. You aren't really persuaded that prayer is direct conversation with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Quite frankly, prayer is easier when life is hard, and prayer is harder when life is easy. 
If we see the ruler in Matthew 9, we commend his faith and that of the woman who went to touch his garment as well. And we rightly affirm that were we in similar circumstances, we would go to the Lord in prayer. We would pray more if we were persuaded we really needed to. But see, when this is done, it shows a tremendous lack of understanding. Christians are simultaneously those who understand themselves to be in the role of the father and the daughter and the woman with the flow of blood. We are all in tremendous need of the Lord's power as an answer to our prayers for ourselves. We are all in tremendous need of the Lord's power for answers to our prayers for others. Who among us this morning would say that we don't desire or need the Lord to answer prayer regarding someone we know and love? Who among us this morning would say that we don't desire and need the Lord's power for prayers for ourselves? Yes, pastor, of course, of course, I admit that. As I said, this sermon is one that will focus on prayer and and joy. Joy will come into the equation in a bit. But I want to charge you and remind you to not fall prey to the temptation that is so present when you hear that the sermon is on prayer. It's just one of those topics, right? When the pastor's preaching on prayer, of course he's preaching on prayer. He's a pastor. He prays more than me, so he's going to tell me I need to pray too. A prayer is much greater than that, as we'll see in the text. And our first point uh, will be partly aimed at why you should not tune out to this or any other sermon that focuses on prayer. The first reason is that Paul says he prays always for the church. It was actually stated in verse 3 and then further down as well where he says, We do not cease to pray for you. We pray unceasingly, right? Remember, you know the words of Paul in uh, in Thessalonians where he says, pray without ceasing, right? That should come to mind. Prayer is so synonymous. Children, what that means is prayer is almost the whole of the Christian life. It is so synonymous with Christian living that Paul says for you to pray without ceasing. He says in our text from Colossians 1, I'm praying for you always. We do not cease to pray for you. He frames it as if nothing else is to be done. The truth is, the more you conform your life to prayer as what you always do, you will have more joy. You will be more Christ-like. You will have more of a taste for heaven and you will be even more useful in all of your responsibilities. There's another thing that prayer is synonymous for. Prayer is used interchangeably for the word worship. Prayer is so synonymous with Christian worship that plenty of Christian manuals or handbooks that have been uh, written up for worship will use the words prayer and worship interchangeably. It is no coincidence that the word prayer and the word praise are spelled so similarly. Acts 2.42 is another point that's interesting. And it might adjust a paradigm or two 
You know, there's, there's a lot of talk, especially when you get into Reformed theology, that you want to get back to the teaching of the Bible. You want to get back to the practice of the early church. We want to do what the early Christians did. Well, in Acts 2.42, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Prayers. Interesting. Prayers, that they were doing these prayers together. You see, Paul is a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, one who says, I always pray for you. And he records very church-centered observation, praying for the church. Remember, like the Lord Jesus in his high priestly prayer, he doesn't pray for the world in the same way that he prays for the church. Christ is not always praying for the world, but he is always praying for his own, he says in John 17. Paul says of these Colossian Christians, he had heard of their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for all the saints, that is, all believers. And what did it drive him to? It drove him to prayer. When he says we give thanks to God, he speaks of giving thanks to God in prayer. Though Epaphras had labored among the Colossians, Paul did not leave all the work to him. Paul writes that he gives thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for these Christians. He gives thanks for these Christians, Christians that he himself did not serve among. Now, why am I drawing attention to this? Because I want you to think about how you respond when you hear or see your own church laboring in faith in Christ Jesus and loving the saints. How do you respond when you observe or participate in the work of the church? You see, we're led to a lot of responses, aren't we? And we are so sinful that we can turn something that is wonderful and wholesome that the church does into a reason for complaining. Why do I have to go to worship? Why do we have that meeting tonight? Why is Sunday school so long? Right? Those kinds of things. Into a reason for bitterness. They just think they're better than me going to that service. Instead, how should we respond? We should respond by giving thanks to God the Father in prayer and praying always for the saints, especially those among whom the Lord has placed us. Let me give you parents a very simple challenge. Thank God for people in this church by name in front of your children. Thank God for people in this church by name in front of your children. You who don't have any children at home, spend some time in your prayers with your spouse thanking the Lord for the people in this church. You who live alone, pray for the people in this church, each of them by name. Younger saints, you children of the Lord, notice the love among the congregation. Thank the Lord for it and pray that you would be able to follow in those footsteps. Because a praying mindset, a praying always mindset will only help you. 
That's the first thing that Paul always prays for the church. The second thing is the content of Paul's prayer for the church. There's a phrase at the end of verse 11, as Paul ends his list of what he is praying always for these Colossian Christians. It's there in the next to the last sentence or so in your bulletin, or if you're looking in your Bible, it's the very end of verse 11, I believe. It says that they would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Matthew Henry says about this prayer of Paul, he heard that they were good, and he prayed that they might be better. I want to work through the logic of this prayer for just a moment, just so you can see what Paul is doing, and then we'll come back to joy in just a moment. But note, this is a lot like Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul has this really long sentence that's just totally connected together, one phrase building off the next phrase and all that stuff, where he starts in verse 3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since, so since when? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. So that's the two reasons that Paul is going to thank God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, so why is this present in them? Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in the world. Think of the great commission there, going to the ends of the world. And it's bringing forth fruit. Paul is reflecting on the fact that God is working among them. He talks about Epaphras, he's a faithful minister, then jump down a little bit. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, since the day we heard of your faith and your love for all the saints, we do not cease to pray for you. He kind of starts over. And to ask. So here's the content of what he asks for them. He praises God. That's part of the prayer, right? So we need to have that in our prayers, of course, that we praise the Lord but also the petitions, right? The things that we ask for. This is what he asked for. That the church would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That the church might walk or live worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he prays for knowledge and living, right? Heart and body, as it were. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for the purpose of patient and long-suffering living with joy. And then once again, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, why do I draw attention to this? Because I want to ask you, what do your prayers for the saints sound like? This is not the point of the sermon, but it is something to consider when you read it. What do your prayers for the saints sound like? Notice I'm assuming that you pray for the saints. What do those prayers sound like? Because this passage is tremendously instructive. A great exercise for us when, when we're learning to pray, when we're teaching our children to pray, or when we're praying uh, privately on our own. A great exercise in testing our prayers we should do that, by the way. And further learning of how to pray is to have passages like this open before us as we pray. You could even draw up an entire list of ways to pray and things to pray for based on this passage. Now let me charge you, you elders, 
especially as the shepherds of this congregation, do not settle for praying simply for the perceived and expressed needs of the flock. Do not settle for simply praying what people tell you to pray for. Do not simply settle for praying for what you want to pray for. Pray using these things. Pray more. Thank the Lord for His congregation. Thank the Lord for His work in their lives. Ask the Lord to fill this church with that which Paul asked of the Lord. Again, consider the prayer of Christ for His disciples in John 17 as another example. He prayed for unity. He prayed for them to be fruitful in bringing others into the fold. Let me give you another reminder, kind of step back from the elders and address everyone, specific, or everyone generally again. The words of Scripture are always the best words to use in prayer. The words of Scripture are always the best words to use in prayer. Because what the Scriptures do is they teach you what you really need. They teach you what God has really promised. Because God knows your needs better than you know to ask for them. Why do you think Jesus has this emphasis when he speaks to the disciples about prayer, about praying in his name or according to his will? Right? He gives us that in the Bible. You can't get any better than praying the Bible. And coming back to the phrase that I mentioned earlier, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joy. The King James says joyfulness. So we're going to focus on joy for just a moment. Paul prays that the saints will be granted patience and long-suffering with joy. Now, long-suffering is, is just kind of another word for patience, that you would bear with something. So it's almost like Paul is asking for patience and more patience, if you will. If you need patience, say amen. All right. <laughs> patience and more patience. That is something to meditate on. But Paul adds an adjective. He adds a descriptor for how he wants them to live in patience and long-suffering. With joy. With joy. Maybe you're familiar with the passage where we're told that God loves a cheerful giver. I've heard a preacher say before that God doesn't just love nouns, he loves adjectives too. He adds these descriptions of how he wants us to do things, not simply do them. Put even more simply, Paul prays for joy. He prays for the people to have a specific flavor of life, joy or joyfulness. Maybe you think about 1 John in chapter 1, verse 4, where John says, These things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. Right? John gives another purpose for his epistle at the end, but the first purpose he gives is so that those to whom he wrote would have fullness of joy. Right? So this is not something that is uh, relegated only to Paul. John brings it up because the Holy Spirit wrote both of those books. But again, let me ask you this question. Are you praying for joy to be an accent in the life of the church? 
Are you praying for joy to be an accent in the life of the church? Because you're to pray for it in others, as Paul does, and you're pray for it in yourself. And I need to emphasize this as so important because one of the, the firmest critiques that people often make against Reformed churches, and in my experience is true, is they lack joy. It's no irony that we're called the chosen frozen. Because it feels more often, sometimes, I shouldn't say more often, sometimes it feels like a funeral parlor instead of practice and participation for and in heaven. Are you praying for joy to be an accent in the life of the church? Because you're to pray for it in others and in yourself. Joy marked the Lord Jesus. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, Paul tells us to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was set before Jesus? Joy. Now, Paul uses joy in uh, Colossians as a adjective, a descriptor. But here it's used as more of a noun, isn't it? Like a place. It is a thing that is set before Jesus that further compelled him. It propelled him on in his enduring of the cross and despising of shame. And he did so until he reached the joy of the right hand of the throne of God. Remember Psalm 16 from last week. In your presence is fullness of joy. And I want to stretch things for just a moment in what Paul says here in Colossians and view it similarly to what he says in Hebrews 12 and the way joy is used there. For the Lord Jesus, there was joy always set before him because he always was in communion with his Father. He was always looking forward to an even greater communion that would be granted at his ascension. You see, the joy was both future and present. Jesus was communing with, the God, with God the Father in the present. Jesus knew he would commune even greater. He prays that God would restore that glory to him. It was present because, as he says, he and the Father are one. But in the Christian life, much the same can be said. Joy is set before us, but it is not totally future. As we live in patience and more patience, we do so because we live in fellowship with God where there is joy. Prayer is entering more closely into that joy. Joy is where we are going. Joy is with us. Joy is before us and joy can mark our living with patience and more patience. So the joy that is set before us is also the joy that is in us. It is not just an answer to Paul's prayers. It is an answer to Jesus' prayers and a proof of his person. Because the giving of the Holy Spirit is the giving of joy. Remember, I've told you before that the Holy Spirit is the mold of Christ. The Holy Spirit came upon Christ. Then when Christ ascended into heaven, he sent the Spirit upon the church. So that the Spirit, then in the mold that he had been given in the Son, could make more sons. Christian means little Christ. 
The Spirit is the mold of Christ and presses us into his image and fits us for union with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit forever as our joy increases. We see that the Spirit is given. One of the reasons is for our joy. In John 16, verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples something about prayer and joy. He joins it together himself. He says, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Prayer and joy bound up together for the Lord Jesus as well as his apostles. This joy is so important because of the amount of patience and more patience that is required. We live cross-carrying lives. The load can seem heavy. Children, you need to know this, that Christianity is not just hard for you. It's hard for your parents and grandparents too. But in patience, we remember that the burden of Christ is light. It's light because the blood-stained cross is part of the joy of Christ. And it's part of ours with Him through His Spirit. So I'd encourage you to pray for joy. To live in joy. Remember how we described joy last week as different from happiness. Paul prayed for joy. Paul lived in joy. And ultimately it's what the Lord Jesus did. Third point. Prayer and joy are two of the most important aspects of the Christian life. Now this is just kind of a going to draw it to a more practical end here. Final point, prayer and joy are two of the most important aspects of the Christian life. We cannot be those who relegate the practice of Paul and the prayer of Paul to superstar Christianity. It is not simply the work of the clergy to pray this way. We want to avoid that with every fiber of our being. If you don't know what the word clergy means, it's just a, a funny word for people who are employed by the church for the work of ministry. Right? Those who are ordained to the gospel, whether it be Pastors exclusively or pastors and elders, depending on how you want to define that term. We want to avoid thinking that these types of prayers, that the, the way that the Bible calls us to pray is something that only superstar Christianities can do, Christians can do. Prayer in the worship service is not just done by the elders. Prayer in the Christian life is not just done by the elders. There is not one image of Christ for the elders and another image for the congregation. When we pray together as a congregation, we ought to all give our amen. You're not just sitting there listening to me or Andrew or Mr. Ed or Mr. Hugh or Kevin or Sam or whoever it is up here. You're not just sitting there listening to us pray. We are praying as the body of Christ. You'll notice in our prayers, we don't say, I, unless sometimes a preacher might say that where they ask for their own help. But we say, we, we ask, right? It's participation in that life of prayer. We are called to view prayer this way. We are called to practice prayer this way, as Paul says. And you must know this. If you've ever devoted yourself to prayer, I believe you would agree with this, that the way to joy in the Christian life starts and stops with your prayer life. The way to joy in the Christian life starts and stops with your prayer life. Because if you will be a Christian without ceasing, you must pray without ceasing. If you remember the joy that was set before you, uh, that 
is like what is promised to Christ. It's promised in him. It was won by him. You must pursue a life of praying always. As you live with patience and more patience, with joy as the flavor, you will understand that simply praying for felt needs will not do. You have to align yourself with the word. You let the meat of the word fill your prayers and clear your mind. No, that's not what I need. This is what I need. You'll see the height of Christian prayer as doing things like praying the Psalms. You'll see the chief work of what Christians do together is pray. And you'll understand why the word is synonymous with Christian worship and living. Praying always for joy in patience and for others and for joy in patience in yourself. It will make you well. You will know the declaration of Christ over your own soul that he made to the woman in Matthew 9. Be of good cheer for your faith has made you well. Well, closing application for uh, the men, the fathers chiefly, uh, then mothers and wives, and then the older saints, the younger saints tossed within there. One of the greatest examples of a man praying in Scripture is Job. Now, who wouldn't say that he aspires to be as outwardly blessed as Job? Who wouldn't say that he desires to be commended by God like Job was? Remember, that's how the book of Job began. Have you considered my servant Job? God says, try him. But who will pray like Job is the question. We're told how Job was blessed outwardly. He was uh, a blameless and upright man. And then at the end of that little section that's in Job 1, it says, His sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and here it is, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Pray for them. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Don't desire what Job had or what God said about Job if you're unwilling to pray like him. Live the prayer life of Job, praying always. See, Psalm 63.1 says, early will I seek you. Yes, I'm going to summon you to get up early and pray. This is especially true for the fathers in a home. I don't have a proof text that say it verbatim, but I can tell you in my own experience, if dad is up first, things tend to go better. They just do. When he sets the tone, praying for his family. But ladies, you don't get off the hook either. Proverbs 31, verse 15. She rises while it is yet night, giving meat to her household and portions to her maidens. That doesn't mean she necessarily woke up at midnight. That's not the point. She rises early, even while it's still dark, to get up early, to pray, to do the work, to start the day. Do that work and do it with joy. Pray for 
your family. Pray for the church. Older saints, let me encourage you and also maybe scare you. Your prayers go before you. Your prayers will meet you at the gates of heaven. Make a good list. Your prayers live long after you as well. I've heard the older saints in this church talk about how people in the past prayed for this congregation and what we see is fruits of that prayers. Have you ever thought about that? Not just you older saints, but you younger saints too. The things that you pray for will have a ripple effect even after you die. Because, Lord willing, your children will outlive you. Your prayers live long after you bearing fruit for generations to come. And what a great joy it is to even say that we can pray, knowing God hears us. So let us pray with joy as the Lord commends. Amen. Our Lord in heaven, we thank you for...